to me. Live from the Twin Cities, we are the Daves You Know. This is the Daves I Know. You want me to be that type of dude, and I want to be who you like me to, but we both know I can't do nothing at all. Welcome back to uh, episode 185 of this Godforsaken podcast. Uh, the fact that we've been doing this for over three years is absolutely insane to me, but here we are. And we're getting really close, guys, to a uh, to a new season. Uh, we have the regular crew, MJ and, and Dan. MJ, how are you doing? I'm doing great. And if anything, episode 185 indicates what can be done with a three-year plan. That is true. <laughs> A three and a half year plan, buddy. A three and a half year plan. Uh, Dan, how about you? How are you doing? Doing pretty well. It's good to be back. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we have a lot of actually, weirdly, a lot of news this week. So we're gonna we're gonna jump into it pretty quickly. Uh, but we do want to uh, again remind people we had we had a new Patreon join last week. Um, a good friend, and I'm very excited uh, about their joining. $3 a month, uh, patreon.com slash the Daves I know is where you can start at. We are partnering again with the Hop Clouds to produce beer this year. We're doing three beers for uh, Daves I know uh, members. If you are a member for at least two months at the $3 a month uh, level, you'll be able to get a beer. So if you stay as a member of patreon.com slash the Daves I know through the entire year, you're going to get three separate kick-ass beers the first beer is an imperial red rye uh the brewing of that beer is gonna be happening very soon it'll be ready right around the start of the season um so we're gonna have a hopefully we can be able to do a pickup option um so we can meet people like in a parking lot or something and you can pick up your beer or i'll get in my car and drive around most of the twin cities and drop off beer uh <laughs> MJ showing one of the one of the Hop Clouds beers. Uh, we that's a that's a great partnership that we have with the Hop Clouds uh, at Hop Clouds on Twitter. Um, so if you are not yet a member or you're not at the three dollar a month level, get in on that. Get there because uh, I think it's gonna be. We have I think some. We've been brainstorming between the 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 four of us some really good beer options. This Imperial Red Rye is gonna be a really good uh, early you know st- I guess still technically spring kind of beer. Um, we've, we're getting a a very early spring this year. As of right now, but you know, again, it's Minnesota, so very like very likely could be, you know, twenty degrees outside on April seventeenth when the season kicks off. So, and then we have a really good idea for uh, a lighter summer beer for the summer, and then a I think some really interesting ideas for uh, the fall in this playoffs, which will be the third beer. So, patreoncom slash Dave's I know to help support the Dave's that you know. And speaking of the Hop Clouds, the Hop Clouds Citratown Wanderers jerseys are going to be, uh, if you haven't seen, if you're not following Hop Clouds on Twitter, I don't know why, uh, you should be following those guys. They're, they're really good people. Uh, guys and uh, guys and gals, I sh- uh, should say. And they put, they're put, producing a jersey as well as a crawler. They're collaborating with Sisyphus Brewing to brew a very big batch of the Citratown Wanderers Uh uh, beer that they did last year i think i think last year was the first year it's a really good 
Really great beer. Do you guys have any? You guys remember the Citra Town beer? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, pretty uh, traditional. It was a pale ale, yes. Uh, IPA. Yeah, um, IPA. So two thirds of the name right. <laughs> <laughs> and really, the the important two thirds. Um, pretty traditional single hop. Uh, Citra being the hop used, uh, as the name suggests, it's going to be really, really juicy. So citrus forward, a little bit of grapefruit, um, kind of a tartar orange. Um, so very, very different from your uh, more traditional West Coast IPAs, where it's kind of like eating an air freshener. <laughs> and weirdly, right. I say that uh, as someone who likes that style of beer. Um, but uh, yeah, if, if I say, oh, it tastes like the inside of a cab smells, and, and you think that sounds good, you know, that's a West Coast IPA. The Citra is a much more mellow, fruity beer. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of this beer. Uh, conventional brewing, uh, if you think of... Uh, Surly's extra citra. Imagine if that beer right. was good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now that you talk about more about it, I do remember it now, and I remember being so shocked it was an IPA because it was not just hops in your face like a West Coast IPA. It was very, very mellow. Um, some great citrus notes to balance out the hops, um, and some a little bit of malt too. Yeah, it's a it's a really really well balanced beer. I think that's one characteristic of the Hop Clouds beers is. There may be a, a strong element, but it's never at the expense of the overall experience. Yeah. So those guys are, are partnering with Sisyphus, actually. Uh, Sisyphus Brewing over in um, Minneapolis, uh, over near Uptown, um, in between Uptown and Downtown by the uh, uh, Walker Art Center. Uh, they're partnering with them to uh, brew that beer uh, as a collaboration beer with them. So it's going to be available at the brewery uh, as, as crawlers. And then uh, Hop Clouds are working with Podiumware which is a local uh, Jersey kit manufacturer manufacturer. Yes. Thank you. I'm trying to remember words, uh, which, which produces everything uh, in, in, in the twin cities. So they do all the design here. They do all the uh, uh, screen printing, everything here in, in, in the, in the cities. So, which is, it's really cool. The black heart did their jerseys, uh, the 20, their 18 jerseys, the, the Brown black heart jerseys were done via podium where they've done a lot of stuff for ultimate Frisbee teams, uh, soccer, um, I know they did the Blackhawks jerseys for at least a couple years. So they're partnering with Podiumware for a uh, Hop Clouds Citratown Wanderers jersey. Uh, it's we've we've got all of us have gotten the opportunity to see it. It's badass, and they just went live with it. Uh, it's a very cool thing. It's sixty dollars, uh, and it also includes a crawler of the Citratown Wanderers collaboration with Sisyphus Brewing. So for sixty bucks, you get a, a jersey. Uh, and a beer. It's fully customizable, so you can put your name and a number on the back if you want. Uh, you can go to podiumware.com backslash team or yeah slash team dash storefront slash hop dash clouds dash citra. That's C I T R A dash town dash wanderers dash custom dash shirt dash reorder. Uh, for to, to if you want to purchase this jersey and the and the crawler, I'll throw that in the uh, the the notes for the podcast as well. So, um, or just go to the Hop Clouds uh, website or the Hop Clouds Twitter account. Uh, they have the the link there if that's the easier thing to do. So, but I'll make sure to throw that into our notes for this podcast. Um, support the Hop Clouds. They have been working with us and they've been doing really cool, awesome stuff with us for over a year now. We want to support the work that they're doing too. So, check it out, Hop Clouds. Citratown Wanderers uh, jersey and crawler only 60 bucks that's gonna be awesome so uh yeah and 
either David or I will remember to copy and paste that URL into the Twitter announcement for this pod, right? Uh, I'll probably link to it after I post the podcast later tonight. So yes. Awesome. Or you can, or you can, if I don't, if I forget to do it, you can do it MJ tomorrow. So, uh, <laughs> all right, well, let's jump in. We have, uh, we have actually have a weirdly, like I said, a lot of, uh, a lot of news, both Minnesota United and MLS uh, style. There was a uh, article came out in the uh, Strib today, the fish rep factory West side uh, with Adrian Heath uh, was interviewed by Jerry Zagoda. Jerry Zagoda asked basically half a good question. Um, but you know, it's, it's a typical, uh, plug, you know, plug, uh, plug in, uh, plug and paste, uh, Adrian Heath interview. You ask a question in, if we ask any of us in this podcast or generally anybody who follows, who listens to this podcast, we could probably ask the question and you would get the answer that Heath would give 75% of the time, just by knowing Adrian Heath. Um, but a couple of quotes I pulled out from the from this article that I thought were interesting. Uh, for one, he said, uh, "This is asked. This is a question related to the end of the season last year in Seattle, and you know how what they need to do to be successful this year." Uh, Adrian, he said, uh, "Quote for us to go again and have a better year, we're going to have to go very close to winning something." Uh, that was his direct quote from the article, which I thought was very interesting, and then. The other quote that I want to throw in there is on if they've done enough in the offseason, this is where the cliched Adrian Heath comes out. We're in negotiations with two, three players. For If we were to get those over the line, we'd be, we'd be very pleased with what we brought in, which is something that he said every fucking year for the last four years, right? Like that's not, that's basically two to three players away from, from being a really good team. So do you guys have any specific thoughts on, I don't know if you guys even read this article. It's you know it's behind a paywall, so it's a little harder uh, for some folks. So um, MGL, I'll throw it to you first. On the on the first quote, the to have a better year, we're going to have to go very close to winning something. That's what they did last year, and the year before was come very close to winning something. So I think fair. it's about damn time you win something. That's a, a very fair point. I didn't even think about it that way. That's, yeah, I forgot. I kind of forgot about that 20, uh, uh, 2019 Open Cup run. So, yeah, good point. David, in the most Heath in podcast you ever recorded, you said that out of the three, last three out of four knockout tournaments, we've ended up in the top four. And you said, and Heath deserves some credit for that or something positive about it, Heath. You said, this is, this is your pod, your words. That's true. That's true. I thought one of the interesting things about this article was just how many like non answers Heath gave, <laughs> like, or that's actually a poor way of putting it. Uh, how many answers he gave where the, the, the way he answered it is more illuminating than what he said. So perfect example, uh, you went out in free agency and straight away signed Will Trap. Was he the top of your off season list? This is a really, really straightforward question. The answer, if I were in Inchi's position would be yes. <laughs> yes right, i right. we like will travel a lot we think he's going to be a valuable piece this year he's going to be a great transition piece um helping spell ozzy yada 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 what inchi actually said was uh 
When we knew Will was available, we really liked what he is. He played a similar system in Columbus for a long time. Incredible continuity player, possession player. Uh, You can't have enough of him. We wanted to wrap it up nice and early. That's a fine answer, but it's a really interesting way to answer the question that was asked. Uh, And there were a couple others of those where just almost what he didn't say was more interesting than what he did. And that's, I think that's, oh, sorry, it makes me worried. Um, Yes, a lot of this is playing the hits. And the funny thing about Inchi's, uh, we need two or three more players, is that it isn't even reserved for the offseason. If this was just like his offseason thing that, you know, well, you know, we're always looking for two or three more players. I mean, that truly should should be true until the day that you kick off. Because the day you kick off, you've got a team and the games count. Inchi will give that exact same answer in interviews in april in may in august like it doesn't matter and she's always looking for two or three more yeah. players they could be hoisting a trophy over their head and then she go god if we just had two more players this could be a real squad uh so th- that part's unremarkable to me but uh we'll get into this a little bit when we get to Juanagatello, who as mls is wont to do signed on last tuesday uh it really makes me wonder if this offseason has caught Minnesota flat-footed a little bit. And and the, that, hey, we're in negotiation with two or three players today when training camp opens is really a sign that this offseason did not go the way that the Loons thought it was going to. Yeah. And and, and Dan, to your point, and that's actually that's actually a very um, intriguing, intriguing point is that um, he's... So Jerry Zagoda is not a soccer fan, or someone knowledgeable in soccer. So, so maybe Adrian like just lets a little more slip with Zagoda than he does with say a Jeff Reuter or Andy Greeter who at least have a little bit more of understanding of, of what they should be doing. Like Jerry Zagoda has no fucking clue, you know, whatever. I'm not going to apologize. Jerry Zagoda probably has no fucking clue what they should be doing in order to make this team better. Jeff Reuter certainly knows what they should be doing to make this team better. I would have, I, I just knowing Andy Greeter, he understands what this team should be doing to make this team better. Um, so maybe he's just a little less guarded with Sagoda. And so we get these, these kind of like weirder, maybe more, we get more context answers when he, when Jerry Zagoda asks his dumb fucking questions of which there's like maybe one and a half good ones. Maybe? Oh, I totally, I totally disagree. A lot of these questions are couched really, really nicely. Yeah. Uh, so, so Meg Ryan uh, went in and, and told Jerry Zagoda what to ask uh, Adrian Jer- Heath. I mean, Jerry's a quality journalist. He does, he's not a good soccer journalist by any stretch of the imagination, but he was one of the best Wolves writers for a long-ass time. So, Jerry's, so went, Jerry's a pro. So like, he, went I, to, he went to Meg Ryan and was like, hey, what do I need to ask well, Adrian David, Heath? David, come on. There is a art to getting stuff out of an interviewee. And sometimes that's asking direct questions. And sometimes that's asking very open-ended questions that will just get them to start talking about something. Yeah. yeah you also need to, you know what the fuck you're talking about too, though. I mean, it's, it's true. Um, the Heath is a tough interview subject. The very first person I was ever paid to interview was Joe Maurer, who, uh, is actually baseball is his second best skill set and football is third. Uh, his number one skill set is not answering questions. Like that dude was the hardest interview of my entire fucking career. And Adrian Heath goes to the exact same school Mauer does. There's so many non-answers in here. Mm. So the thing I like that Jerry did 
is uh, a lot of these are just, he's asking two and three sequence questions. So yeah, about a third of these have no answer, but they're set up for the next question. Uh, really good one on Kevin Molino. Uh, what's it like going into camp without Kevin Molino? That's an okay question. It, it's certainly pertinent. Uh, he gets a nice paragraph answer from Inchi and follows it up with, did you take it personally? Which is a fucking great question. Uh, and I'm not surprised that, that Inchi brushed it off with, no, 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 players make their decisions. I get it. This wasn't about me. <laughs> That's the answer. Deadass last line of that. We'll have to go find somebody else who will make us better. It's a little bit of an offhanded answer, but I think there's some bad blood there. I think Inchi, I think Inchi has a chip on his shoulder about this. I think he thought Molina was coming back, and now it's like the jilted X thing. Like, okay, okay, you made your decision. That's fine. That's fine. You go find somebody else. You, you don't want to play for me anymore. That's fine. I respect that. But I will embarrass you. I will find you but prettier. Like, like, like he needs any more chips on his shoulder. That dude has so many goddamn chips on his shoulder from all the slights that he's ever experienced <laughs> his entire life. Plus like he the needs one more ones. fucking chip on his shoulder, buddy. Come on. Yeah, I mean, if he had any more chips on his shoulder, he's too fry, too uh, too fish fry short of a uh, fish and chips. Yeah. So if he had any more chips on his shoulder, he could go to Vegas and cash in. There you go. Yeah. That's way better than what I said. There you go. So point being, like this is this is an atypical interview, but I think it's better than than it looks on the surface. That's fair. I can understand. I, I can respect that. That's that's a that's a decent point. All right, let's. Let's bring it back with one uh, one one Agadello, uh, the aforementioned uh, by Dan. Uh, he signed Tuesday morning, literally like what less than twelve hours after I posted the podcast. Uh, Juan Agadello signed. He was uh, hinted at by Andy Greeter uh, in his interview with Adrian. He's from last weekend, uh, where they announced or he mentioned that there would be a a striker, uh, not a big money signing. Um, uh, but someone who you know is going to be in a, a striking role. Um, so yeah, we get we get Juan at Juan Agadello, and I guess my question to you guys is, um, you know, we now have two strikers on the roster, him and Foster Lang, Langsdorf. Uh, and what do what do you guys see as Juan Agadello's role for Minnesota United this year? Uh, I'll just leave it there period so you i mean we can talk because there's obviously there's his current role which he's he is the striker right now um what his ideal role would be which i think is coming in he's like that you know christian ramirez coming in last 25 minutes of games you know maybe four maybe coming in you know 40 minutes if they really need a goal or something uh and what his role will end up and ultimately end up being which is basically how is he th- gonna fuck this one up which he ultimately <laughs> will probably fuck this one up so uh i'll leave it to you guys to start that conversation and mj why don't you i i'm i'm gonna regret going to you first but mj why not go well, to you all first? my all the mj non takes i've always said about one agadello so fucking good thank you but on a serious note there is so many different aspects to your question david on what is he going to do now? What will he end up being? Just pick one. And Juan Agudelo is going to be the starting striker. Assuming we play a 4-2-3-1, he will be the starting striker for however long it takes to get a better striker for this Minnesota United team. And then on the aspect of how will he screw this up, 
he will eventually end up in Heath Stryker jail because the Stryker Whisperer didn't really whisper anything useful to him. Dan? Yeah, I think I, I tend to agree. I mean, he's he's the starting striker until he's supplanted, um, which, you know, hopefully is sooner rather than later. Um, I think, and this kind of gets into what I was talking about before, I think the team legitimately thought Amaria was coming back, and then he didn't. I think they thought Kevin Molino was coming back, and then he didn't. And so they turn their attention to scouting, and that's that's difficult given COVID. And they set sights on Adrian Hunu, and that worked out and looked like it was going to get across the line until Ren started playing well, and then they started playing badly and fired their coach. So I I I feel like this is holy shit. If we don't get someone at the top of this formation, we are screwed. And Juan Agadello, there's no visa issues. There's no um, – the, the money was was fairly easy. We, we don't know his exact salary, but we know this is neither a DP nor TAM signing. Like this to me is if we don't get this guy, we're, we're in such bad shape that we absolutely have to get him. I don't think it precludes them doing anything else. Um, I don't necessarily see him being a great fill-in for the rest of the season in terms of like patching holes for uh, Olympics or Euros. Cause he doesn't really overlap with any of those positions. Um, I think he'll be an asset. I think long-term he he's the type of guy who comes in in you know, you could sub him on at half, you can sub him on at 60. He sort of drifts around a little bit. Um, you can either fix him on the left, play him through the middle. It just, he's a nice flexibility piece. I'll be honest. Um, it's just really, really, really hard to get excited about him as the team's starting striker. And then this is actually to a point in one of the soccer sites that Dan, that you and I are in that I think you brought up was um, how, I mean, I would assume that the team, the front office went to Will Trapp and said, Hey, we're thinking about bringing in Juan Agadello. They played in Miami together last year. What are your thoughts on that? I assume that they would have went to him and he would have, pretty much you know said yes the guy's a good worker last year was not a great year for him but here's the reason maybe here's the reasons why here's the things why here's the reasons why maybe he wasn't set up to succeed again inner miami was not a great situation last year um before all the stuff uh (laughs) we'll talk about in a little bit but uh you you would imagine i would i would hope i guess maybe maybe that's like yeah i imagine and, and i hope that the you know, the team would have gone to Will Trap and, and asked what his thoughts were on Juan Agadell, especially as a, as a teammate, as, as a locker room presence, right? I think you got to assume that they did that, right? That's definitely my assumption. And I would be really surprised if they didn't just because it's super low-hanging fruit. Like the, the scouting department's going to produce their analysis. The the stats people are going to validate it they're, or disagree yeah. with it. Will Trap's just a nice X factor. Like it, it would surprise. It, it would really surprise me if they didn't, and also simultaneously, weirdly, would not surprise me if they didn't even talk to him at all about it. If they just brought him in, <laughs> that's just based on the the history with this particular front office. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if they were just like, "Yeah, we're gonna bring him in," and then and, and then it's like a, a complete fucking shit show. But hopefully not. Hopefully, I'm hopefully I'm just being pessimistic there, and it's and they they did they did their due diligence. Well, and there there is a good compelling reason not to. 
if you if your scouts say for what we need right now this is the number one option you run your stats stats agree and the general vibe on a player is that he's not super toxic if you're gonna sign him a hundred percent no matter what will trap says actually don't talk to will trap because if it turns out that like Juan peed on Will's shoes at some point. Will really never got over it, which, by the way, is 100% a thing that can happen in professional locker rooms. Uh, you really don't want to give your new, I'm not going to call Will a star player, but a key element of the team, an illusion that you care about what he thinks, and then you just go and fucking do it anyway. Right. So right. I, I think that they probably did have that conversation with him. If they didn't, it isn't necessarily the wrong choice. It just kind of depends how sure they were of the decision. Uh, yeah, I have a, I, I mean, it, I think if we're going into the season with Juan Agadello as our, uh, our striker, um, that's not necessarily a good thing. It's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. Obviously we've seen this team be able to make some moves, uh, you know, later in the, uh, the transfer windows. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's not great. And, you know, all things considered, Juan Agadell is on a free. If you want to bring in someone like Christian Ramirez, you're going to have to pay Houston some money, uh, to make that happen. So I kind of understand this move. I really hope this is, you know, uh, part of a series of moves to bring in, uh, other strikers for, for this team. So, yeah, if I can do a quick breakdown on Agadello, um, please. His so I'm going to throw a bunch of numbers out there, but let me preface it with saying I actually don't care about any of them. Last year was such a fucking weird year with COVID. I mean, you end up in situations where Luis Amaria is actually a perfect example. Uh, scores a couple of goals, looks great at the beginning of the season, and then really never puts the pieces back together. Um, plenty of guys had seasons like that. Like you go through the list of, of, players who are available or who performed or underperformed last year. It's just weird. There were a handful of guys that you would expect to be really good. Uh, the striker for FC Cincinnati. Why am I totally blanking out? Jurgen Lothkadia. Big money transfer, highly regarded, scores once in MLS. And his underlying numbers are horrible. So, like, there were a bunch of just weird things last year. And I think it's it's easy for us to underrate it because so much of it was normal. So I'm going to hand wave these a little bit. The other uh, X factor I'll give uh, Agadello is Miami was a shit show last year. Uh, they were tied for fourth lowest in the league in goals scored. Uh, Cincinnati really beat the band on that. They scored 12 goals last year. Just remarkably terrible. Uh, Miami wasn't appreciably better. They scored, a, I believe, 24. 1.09 per game, which is really sad. Uh, Agadell is an interesting player in terms of being, he's got great ideas, but his execution isn't always great. He's a uh, top quarter of the league in passes attempted, uh, and they're very progressive. He's an extremely good progressive passer in theory, but in practice, he was only 41st percentile in completion. Uh, he was very near the bottom of the league in shot creating actions. So there's a temptation to call him the sort of uh, back-to-goal striker that we've talked a little bit about in past episodes. He's not that. And I think that's definitely a way we can see he screw him up, is trying to turn him into a back-to-goal striker. His expected goals last year are actually identical to Luis Amaria, despite uh, Agadell having played twice as many minutes. Uh, he had a 22% shot on target rate last year, which is real bad. Just 
really bad. Uh, to put it in context, the two players, and I swear I didn't cook the books on this, the two players he's between on the shot on target percentage list are Jan Gregush, who shoots almost exclusively from outside the box, and and I actually kind of like that he's he's willing to shoot. Uh, and Frankie Calvo, <laughs> noted noted assassin, goal goal poacher extraordinaire, Francisco Calvo. So look, like if, if that's if your defenders are shooting at that rate, yeah, you go, oh, that's fine. If your lead striker is shooting at that rate, you have a problem. Yeah, yeah for sure. And again, this is not goals converted. This is just shots on target. Yeah, this is the number of shots that uh, required that either went in or required a save to to stop the one thing i will say unequivocally in his favor is he is both a willing and capable defender uh he's very good on the press which i think is what we'll see the loons try to do a little more of this year um team is younger slightly more mobile without molino so i think i think we'll, we'll see them at least try to press and agadello fits into that really nicely um the other way I can see Heath screwing him up is Agadello uh, tends to float. Uh, if you look at his heat map for any given game, he's on both sidelines. He's in the middle. He's he's really moving around quite a bit. Um, I think if Heath really tries to pin him to the dead center in that sort of traditional, like Angelo Rodriguez type of a role, I think Agadello is not going to get enough service to, to maintain uh, engagement in the game. And I think we'll lose him as the game goes on, which to David, your point earlier, I think is why he's a perfect 45 minute player. Right. And mm-hmm. if that's the role, you know, sometimes he comes in to be an aerial threat coming in from the left. Sometimes he's playing through the center, but he's always got these really discreet responsibilities. I think that's ultimately a really good sign for him. Whereas if he's like, go stay like Kai Kamara, if he's like, go stand at the top of the box, take the ball and put it in the back of the net we're going to be really frustrated because we're going to see a lot of shots and we're going to see very few good shots. Yeah. Uh, MJ, do you have any other final thoughts on Juan Agadello? No. Okay. This is though a prelude to Dom Dwyer signing. Oh my God. You son of a bitch. Don't talk that into uh, (laughs) into a thing that happens. It is. I'm telling Um, you right now. He has heat experience and that goes for a lot, right? Look at Kevin Molino. Like fucking experience knows knows the system. Fucking hate you all. It's desperation. Uh, That's what. All it right. Is. Let's yeah. Let's uh, let's power through a, a few things uh, before we end on um, some shitty news. Uh, Thomas Chacon seems to be like that. This is part of the same uh, article uh, that uh, uh, the strib uh, Chacon seems to be heading back to Uruguay on loan. He's been Instagrammed in Uruguay. So we have not yet heard the official, what the official loan is, if it's back to his home club or, or what, but it sounds like he's not going to be playing in MLS at least for the first half of the year. Uh, Pat Wea officially signed, which was funny enough. Like I got an ESPN push notification about a Minnesota United signing and it was Patrick Wea, which, you know, only because of his, uh, his last name, I would imagine, but still pretty Pretty cool news. And then Ozzy Alonso uh, officially resigned uh, for his 13th MLS season, his third with Minnesota. Uh, and we've talked about a little bit about both those these two signings, uh, specifically the Ozzy Alonso signing that we're more excited maybe about the post playing career part of that signing than the uh, this actual official year. But having him back in the fold uh, with the team is, is 
is really, really great news. So do you guys have anything uh, on anything you want to talk about with Chacon, uh, Wea, or Alonso that we haven't already discussed at nauseum over the course of the last couple of weeks? In brief, Chacon needs minutes. He needs minutes. So this will get him minutes. And Ozzy can mentor Will Trap. He's still, Will Trap's still not going to be a destroyer. Will Trap's like 28 years old, dude. He doesn't need much mentoring. He's not going to be a destroyer, but I, I still think like there's a little bit of violent, necessary professional yellow card skills that Ozzy Alonso can teach Will Trap. The dark arts. The dark arts. The dark Dark arts arts of the six. Yeah. 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 The, uh, the only thing I'll add to that was an interesting change of tone. So when we first heard that Ozzy was coming back, uh, it was, yep. You know, this is probably going to be his last season. Uh, and, and we're very excited. He's going to, you know, have the, that post-playing career. When he did officially resign, Heath's quotes were very pointed in terms of he is here to be a player. We, we brought Ozzy Alonso back because he is a player on this team. This is like, whatever he does after this, we're excited about, but that's not why we brought him. We brought him back to be a player. And I'd be very curious to know if that's something that Ozzy wanted to make clear that he's yeah, not back probably. to be the old man of the team, that he's not, I, I'm not saying he won't mentor Will Trap, but that that's not the reason that he's coming back, that he, he firmly believes that he's got something to give. So that just caught me as, as interesting, which assuming that's the case, and that's great, it will be an interesting test of Adrian Heath's coaching ability. And this is not something I think that will be easy to see from the outside, but it is something that will happen in the locker room. If you've got Ozzy Alonso, assuming he's healthy, and you've got Will Trap, they play pretty well the identical position, how are you going to balance those minutes? Because neither of those guys is going out to the Olympics or to any of the qualifying, so they're always going to be there. So how do you how do you create a team where both of those guys feel like they're being utilized appropriately and the team's winning? Because ultimately, they can be unhappy as shit, and if Minnesota United never loses, they can go be unhappy and cry into the trophy. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say you... I, mean, I know we know Will Trap probably can get forward a little bit more. So maybe you let Will Trap, um, you know, sort of train a little bit in that Grey Goose role and, and you roll like him as a, as an eight, uh, which is not great, but could be, could be an option um, for, for Trap, uh, especially considering Dotson will probably be hopefully gone with the Olympic team um, during the same time that, uh, uh, Greg Goose is at the Euros with Slovakia. So, um, okay. Finally, uh, before we talk about the little preseason schedule stuff, uh, Icopara, uh, we got Icopara news, uh, and it was not good. Doesn't sound like uh, we, you know, we'd heard from Adrian Heath earlier in the in the winter that everything was progressing pretty well with Icopara from being back, um, but. Uh, yeah, the, the news we got from uh, the MLSsoccer.com and, and a couple other places, uh, Adrian Heath was not super confident that Icapara is going to be back, that uh, the condition uh, that they're they're not talking about um, is not going to allow him to play, which is shitty fucking news. So I I don't know if you guys have anything else to add on that. Um, I know we we heard kind of officially – that his wife had a, uh, a immuno like a disease that was made her immunocompromised, which obviously made sense for Ike to not participate 
in MLS after, you know, post COVID or you know, what after the, the COVID um, just because he didn't want to bring that home to, you know, potentially kill his wife, which everybody hundred percent respects and agrees with. And, and so, but there's not any sort of uh, discussion about whether this is something related to her related to him. Um, and I don't want to speculate, but it's just, this is, this is shitty news for, for both Ikepara for Minnesota United and for, and for uh, Loons fans. So. I mean, we're not out of the woods. I do, I wouldn't blame him if it's a similar or same situation where he does both for his health and for his wife's health does not want to play until there's more vaccination or the infection rate has gone down to zero. Um, right. But there's enough unknowns where, you know, we just can't say. Yeah. Uh the leagues have been pretty clear that they are not going to jump the line to try to get more vaccine. So as much as these guys are probably in kind of a pseudo quarantine, it's not the bubble setup. Um, we still haven't heard a ton about how the season is going to progress in terms of flights, et cetera. So if it is still COVID related, I don't think anyone can blame Ike. Uh, yeah, it just sucks. I, f- I feel for the guy because you know, he wants to play you know he wishes that he were 100% and this was a super straightforward, easy decision, and it's not. No matter what's going on with his health, with his wife's, this just sucks, and that's kind of all there is to it. Yeah. I mean, even if it isn't – even if, if it wasn't COVID-related, um, listen, man, I am I'm very much a, a pro-union player dude. This guy has given up. Uh, he was born – he was, he just turned uh, 32. I think that's right. He's in his thirties. So, and just coming, you know, coming off of the, he just turned 32 this year coming off of, uh, you know, one of the best years of his career, the year, two years before he gave up an entire year. He's, you know, theoretically might give up an entire another year in his prime when as a, you know, a center back, like this is like, you know, he's at the peak of his powers right now and he has to give it up. And, and I respect anybody who is willing to do that for whatever reason, um, specifically if you're trying to like keep people in your life healthy and, you know, amidst a, a global goddamn pandemic that's killing people at, you know, we have what over 500,000, over 500,000, half a million people are, are dead in the United States because of uh, this stupid fucking thing. So um, it sucks. It really, it really does suck. And, and uh, I think all of us are, we feel bad for Icopara because, you know, we'd, be, we'd love to see him on the pitch uh, dominating and stuff, but, He's got to do what's best for him and his family. So good to hit, good for him. So, uh, and then the last bit of news on Minnesota United before we jump into MLS is uh, they announced their preseason schedule, uh, which uh, are all going to be behind closed doors and are not streamed. And I, uh, I'm trying to say, I, I love the post that they put. For safety of staff, fans, and players, all friendlies will be closed to the general public and will not be streamed. That's not for the safety of fans <laughs> that they'll not be streamed. Maybe just like maybe put a period there and then just say they will not be streamed. I just I, I think that's the it, again Minnesota United uh, uh, PO front office stuff is not necessarily the most uh, the best relayed anyways uh march 27th against charleston battery these are all happening in florida march 31st against the columbus crew 
uh, April 3rd versus FC Cincinnati, and then April 9th versus Orlando City. Uh, they will be doing stuff on Twitter, so you know you can follow along on Twitter if you want to watch. Uh, MJ. So about the it will not be streamed, I agree that deserved a separate sentence, but I will read between the lines a little bit here. If it is going to be streamed, that requires at least one video and probably one audio tech in the stadium that is more people in the stadium than is necessary to hold the friendly or the preseason game. So are you are you part of the Minnesota United front office uh, PR staff, buddy? Or or no, I'm just trying to explain to you what they should have said in their second sentence that you wanted them to I'm um, yeah, I'm just guessing that they, they could set up a camera and, and do the things. But anyways, I understand what you're saying. Uh, all right. Anything else on Minnesota United? Otherwise, we'll uh, we'll take a very quick break and jump into uh, MLS uh, and the rest of the, the podcast. So I do think it's funny that uh, of the four games, Minnesota United chose to play two uh, against opposition not at the MLS level. Ha. Ah. That's a sweet FC Cincinnati joke, buddy. I appreciate it. <laughs> that team sucks shit. And I'm not sorry. <laughs> They're so goddamn bad. They are really fucking bad. They are they are really, really they fucking bad. They should be better this year. Like that's the thing. There's no reason they should have been that bad last year. So this year's they're, they're gonna be like mid-table and everybody's like, oh, it's the the, the Cincinnati resurgence. And the answer is no. They were just historically bad last year in a way they had no right to be. Really, really fucking bad. All right. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, we will discuss uh, some MLS stuff. We have lots of MLS stuff news as well. So we'll be right back. You want me to be that type of dude. And I want to be who you like me to. But we both know I can't do nothing at all. All right, and we're back. I'm just going to remind everybody to go to the uh, at HopClouds on Twitter to get involved and 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 purchase that Citratown Wanderers jersey, as well as the crawler from Sisyphus Brewing. So make sure you do that. Uh, let's jump in and we talk MLS. I have a few MLS uh, news points here. Um, they're all very very juicy. Uh, there was a, a report about the potential U.S. Open Cup plan that uh, I believe Sam Stasco and Paul Tenorio reported on. And it's basically that the <laughs> they're going to do a, a one big table of the 24 American teams. Uh, and whoever has the, the eight best records after three games is going to be the teams that make the U S open cup, which will start a couple weeks after the, that sort of third week of the season. Uh, it's there's, I mean, there's no, good way to do this. They're all the ways that they're going to do this are fucking stupid. Um, I just, I also think this is particularly stupid because I also am of the, and we haven't heard any about thing about when they'll announce the MLS schedule, which probably will happen towards the end of March. Um, there's not, it's not going to be any sort of, it's going to, I think it's gonna be regional. So it probably Minnesota playing sporting Kansas city, uh, you know, maybe a Cincinnati or Columbus, uh, not Chicago because why would Minnesota play Chicago ever? even though like we're relatively close to one another. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts on this specific U S open cup plan or, or how stupid the thing will be? Everything, the way that the U S soccer federation and MLS handle for the U uh, S open cup 
is horseshit. And I'm just glad that in a year following a COVID year, that we finally get something that's consistent. It was the way they handled it before was horseshit, and the way they're handling it now is horseshit. Sure. Yeah, I can't can't disagree with any of that. Uh, I just think this underscores how weird it is. That we have no idea what the schedule is. We are five weeks from opening day, and we should at this point be able to say, well, you know, this team seems to have a favorable schedule. Well, this team really has no chance, and we can't. I mean. <laughs> well, normally we get the, we get like the, the home openers. Um, we, the last couple of years, we've gotten them in like uh, late December, early January. is when we've gotten the home, op- the home openers of, of each team. So we at least get a couple of matches for, for most teams. Um, and that's about, that tends to be about six to eight weeks ahead of when the season actually starts. And we don't, we don't actually ever get the full schedule till probably about, well, probably about right now, probably about six weeks before the, the season actually starts. So we're not like too far off the schedule, but I don't, I mean, everything I've read from, you know, uh, soccer journalists that I trust, they seem to think that we're not going to get the schedule till like the end of March, like in, <laughs> three in like three weeks so like about two and a half weeks before the season starts is when we'll probably get the schedule which is fucking bonkers i don't want to tinfoil hat this too much but it's almost like there's a team that's about to fold (laughs) and they don't want to schedule games for a team that's going to fold before the season and like i i sincerely don't think that's going to happen but it is a fairly reasonable explanation for some of the shit that's happened this offseason so so here's my here's my so my my thought and i've I've talked to a few people about this uh watching some games i think that they just they they're trying they want to try to put out an entire schedule um before like when they put out the schedule and right now with the canadian teams being stuck down here like they don't know how long that's going to be i my guess is that they're trying to they're trying to wait and, and like get some sort of um you know uh assurance from the canadian government that hey in june teams like teams like athletes will be able to travel to canada and and go back and forth across the border without any quarantine stuff um and then they'll they'll release an entire like that's so they want to release the entire schedule. My guess is what is actually going to happen is that Canadian government's going to say, "Fuck no," um, and they're they're going to release the schedule until the end of May, basically, and say, "Here are the games that are happening from April seventeenth to May thirtieth, which is that Sunday, the last Sunday of May, because um, May thirty first is my birthday. It's also Memorial Day, so they'll they'll, they'll release a, basically a schedule for like basically six weeks." And say, here's a schedule for six weeks. Uh, we're gonna release the other, like the next schedule, sometime, you know, in early April or whatever. And they're they're trying to push off because they, they, I think they want to have the Canadian teams playing in Canada as much as possible, but they also can't hold the hold the league up because of Canada, which is why I think you have the, uh, you know, the Canadian teams. We'll talk about this in a little bit. Canadian teams are playing their games in the U.S. here, so. I don't think they want to release a full schedule until they have any some like any sort of reassurance about what is actually going to be able to happen. And if they don't get any reassurance, it's going to be, we're going to do it in chunks. And so you might see some of the same things we saw last year with like pods of teams. So like four teams playing uh, each other 
over the course of six weeks. So home and away or something like that. So that's my, that's my project, uh, uh, prediction. So. Yeah, it's, it's a really good point. And I think it'll be really interesting to see just how quickly the border thing goes away. Um, you know, we've talked extensively on the pod about countries that have handled COVID well and com- countries that haven't and this, that, and the other. Uh, one thing the U.S. is doing really well and no real shock considering most of the companies are headquartered here, we're vaccinating better than literally anyone else in the world. Uh, you yeah. look at per capita rates, everything, like it's going really well here and it's going actually notably better than Canada. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if, if that is the holdup how much pressure the Canadian government gets from, because it won't just be MLS at that point. It'll absolutely be major league baseball as well with the blue Jays uh, to and NHL. Uh, that's true. Yep. That's true. Playoffs will playoffs be starting in April. So yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. There's, uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot more Canadian teams in the NHL than there are uh, Canadian teams in either at major league baseball and or MLS. So are there, I think there's more NHL teams than MLS and MLB teams combined. Yes, there's seven in uh, NHL. That's, that's after the loss of Quebec Nordiques. Yeah, so. Which is a huge loss because didn't they end up being – no, they became the Avalanche, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Which I was they, thinking they yeah. became the, the Coyotes, which is a, no. an abomination of a uh, franchise. The Winnipeg Jets, I think. Yeah, that was the Jets. Before the Jets got so, another team. A, another another uh, abomination of a franchise. So. <laughs> Um, uh, but point B, okay, like, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this unfolds. And I think you're right. I think the border dispute does matter. I hope, honestly, I hope that the league doesn't pod teams. Um, we saw it like it was a necessary evil last year, but man, it just creates such an unbalanced schedule. Um, but it is what it is. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. I mean, in relation to the, like the U S open cup plan, which would basically be like your first three games against, uh, American teams, I guess, basically considers like how you like your your standing, uh, which I guess you know doesn't necessarily um, bode well for a lot of teams that are in transition. Um, you know, because there's you know it's still, but it, I don't know. It's just it's it's weird. It's just but there's no. I mean, there really isn't a a super great way to pick eight teams for the U.S. Soccer Federation's Open Cup tournament if you have to only pick eight teams. And so um, whatever you're going to pick is probably going to be fucking stupid. So Like only one-third of the MLS clubs that normally get into the tournament. Yeah, or, you know, one-third of MLS clubs and only uh, what it's basically ends up being one less a fifth of the teams that normally would be in the tournament. Yeah. Uh, get to play in the tournament. So, yeah. Bids into this. Are- Seems like Minneapolis city and all those guys are, are, you know, Minneapolis city hasn't heard back yet, whether they're going to be in it or not, but they're probably going to get screwed and be out of it. So it'd be fun. It'd be fun. Let's, let's move on. Uh, speaking of uh, uh, fun inner Miami uh, is in trouble. <laughs> Uh, over a really terrible signing, uh, Blaze Matuti uh, was brought in last year on a free transfer. I think we were all really surprised when they announced this as a TAM signing and not a DP signing. The dude just won a World Cup like two what two years before yeah. was when he signed. So he was like a World Cup winner coming off of uh, uh, a really big team over in Europe, 
and he was brought in as a TAM signing and everybody was kind of like, wait, what? How is that dude only signing for somewhere between $612,000 and like $1.6 million or something like that? That's like the TAM TAM money. Uh, Clearly not paying a transfer fee, so that that makes a little bit of sense. But like clearly I think Blaise Matuidi is probably making a little more money than that than he was in Europe. So I think everybody kind of like just sort of speculated that he's probably getting paid under the table, uh, either by Jorge Mas or David Beckham or by people uh, associated with Jorge Mas or David Beckham. Uh, so it was announced in The Athletic and actually on ESPN as well that uh, MLS was investigating the Blaze Matuidi signing for Inter-Miami, which is kind of important because MLS never announces when they're doing this sort of stuff that it, the fact that it got out means that there's probably some owner who's like, how in the fuck did they sign Blaze Matuti for that <laughs> amount of money? Um, funnily enough, Paul McDonough, who was the, who was the sort of the, the uh, development or the, the soccer director was cleared of any wrongdoing. He's now back over at Atlanta. Um, so the questions are, what did David Beckham know? And the other probably more in question, more important question is, um, who really does not like Jorge Mas and David Beckham, the owners of Inter Miami? That's probably the more important question. <laughs> this one doesn't require too much tinfoil. Uh, last day of the season, Miami makes the playoffs. The team that the two teams that didn't get in because of them were DC United, an OG MLS franchise, and Atlanta, who, for all their terrible start to last season, actually put together an okay year putting the, the last few games uh, and, and, be- and believe that playoffs are their birthright. So there's that. exactly. And uh, Jorge Mas, extremely rich, David Beckham, extremely rich and powerful. Arthur blank, extremely richer and more powerful than both of them combined. So I'm not saying that it was Atlanta, but I'm saying if Arthur blank called up Don Garber and was like, look, you know, this is crooked and I know this is crooked. And one of us is going to go to the press about it. I have 0% uh, a hard time believing that, that that's how this investigation started. That's fair. MJ, do you have any, any thoughts on the Inter-Miami thing? No? You would think that uh, after my Miami Pizzagate uh, comments uh, from the MJ and on Slack, I would have something to say about this. But, but you have nothing, yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it's dirty. There are so many ways to acquire a player in MLS. And this just further complicates any fan's interest in player acquisition and also makes ripe for any type of under the table deals because, Oh no, we got this person not on a TAM deal or DP deal through this other way. And uh, through discovery rights or what, you know, they're just all these ways to obtain players and it's super confusing and it's ripe for corruption. And we know that it happens, but this is the one time it was called out. It is really interesting that um, that they that they announced that they're launching an investigation because this is not what MLS does. They don't announce this shit to the, <laughs> the public. They they keep the under the table just further under the table. Yeah, yeah. So uh, interesting what they what the, the findings of, of the whole thing are. Uh, all right. Speaking of uh, st- staying in Florida because Florida is a shit show right now. Uh, Orlando City right now. Yeah, I mean, generally, just generally, you can just <laughs> Orlando, Florida is a shit show. Generally, you can just use, use it as a general operating procedure. Um, 
considering the Bugs Bunny gift right here. Yeah. Uh, did you guys see Ron DeSantis in the in the non-Trump CPAC poll? Ron DeSantis got forty three percent of the uh, the vote for the next nominee of the Republican Party in twenty twenty four. In the the non-Trump poll, Ron DeSantis. Yeah, that that. Uh, and, 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 and surprisingly, Mitt Romney did not score well. No, Mike Pence got like one percent, so good for him. Um, glad he risked his life for uh, for those assholes. Uh, anyways, uh, or. <laughs> Staying in and many, uh, sorry, not I'll say Miami, not many, not Miami, Florida. Uh, Orlando City is in discussion to sell their team to the Wills. Uh, Flavio Augusto da Silva, a Brazilian, uh, he brought bought into MLS at seventy million dollars. Um, he has been looking to sell this team for several years now. Uh, he sold a minority share to a Canadian dude, which I forgot to write down into the notes. Uh, that was like eight. 0.6% share, which valued the team at $450 million at the time. Uh, he's been asking for $500 million for, for the squad, for the team. Um, and that's basically, we're not 100% sure. This is Jeff Rudy reported this in The Athletic. Uh, the uh, Wolfs, uh, the Wolf family has ha- shares in Nashville that they'll need to sell, um, which that's not a atypical thing that you have shares in a, in a league and get an opportunity to buy a different team. And you get, you get a great spirit to sell your shares uh, in the, in the league. Um, and also we're not hundred percent sure if this is uh, all of the Orlando soccer holdings, which might include the NWSL pride, or this, if, if this is just uh, the Orlando city franchise and the stadium, um, which is interesting because Utah, Utah uh, with uh, Del, uh, Hansen, um, you know, the uh, uh, NWSL team was sold to people in Kansas city to move the team back to Kansas city uh, as part of uh, breaking up the Utah soccer holdings. So the Wolves have been wanting to get into MLS for a long time. They tried to get the MLS franchise here in Minnesota. Obviously they went to Dr. McGuire uh, and Minnesota United. Um, they bought into Nashville a couple of years ago. So they, I think they've been in the Nashville into the Nashville franchise for several years now. Um, they definitely want to get into the MLS uh, MLS game. Um, buying this team would be interesting, um, especially if it includes all of the Orlando soccer holdings. Because uh, the, I mean, I I kind of threw it out there as a joke uh, this weekend to a friend. But like, what if they buy Orlando soccer? They keep Orlando uh, City there, but they move the pride up to Minnesota and bring uh nwsl team to minnesota um so that's totally conjectured not i have no heart not heard from anybody that that would be what they would do and that again this doesn't like these the buying this team doesn't necessarily include that it includes the pride it could be they they'll sell the pride off to somebody else um but that's you know not an not a zero percent possibility that they would do something like that where they would uh, bring the NWSL team up to Minnesota. So do you guys have any thoughts on Orlando city and the Wolves? I would suspect that this does include the entirety of Orlando soccer holdings. Otherwise, I don't think this is a move up. I mean, Nashville has stadium plans. It's not that they need to be building that they have a baked in fan base. They have a, they're the, for an expansion team. They did exceedingly well last year. They've got a solid fan base. I don't know that I would, move to Orlando 
just because it was available, uh, unless it came with the NWSL franchise. I think what we've seen from Angel City, uh, the general interest, uh, She Believes Cup did great numbers on TV this year. To me, that's the great investment opportunity. I don't want to be too crass about it, but at that level of money, if you don't think you're going to get a return, you don't spend. So to me, this is, hey, we can stay in MLS. That's great. But we can now get into NWSL as well. And they get that stadium, which, again, to your point, Dan, is going to host a lot of uh, international stuff over the course of the next 10, 15 years. Yeah, Exploria Stadium is probably a better – it's probably the better venue to own in that sense, but it's yeah. not like they have to put up their own money to build national stadium is, is kind of my point. Right. Well, and they're, they're not putting up any money to, to, to build this stadium because it's already built. Right. Yeah, so they, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're, so they're, cool. they're, they're buying it basically as is. So MJ. You guys said everything I wanted to say. Good job. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. And then the final bit of uh, MLS news, uh, Toronto city, uh, Toronto C um, has officially announced that they're going to be playing, uh, in Orlando slash Tampa, they're going to be training in Orlando. Looks like they they could play games in Orlando. They could play games in Tampa. Uh, Montreal looks like they will be playing uh, training and playing officially in Fort Lauderdale, sharing uh, the Inner Miami Stadium with uh, Fort Lauderdale. Uh, the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, I was going to say. <laughs> no, sad, sadly, they are not playing at crappy old Lockhart. They are not that, playing. Would be, that would be an well, impeccable match of stadium and team. Technically, they are playing at crappy old Lockhart, just in a new crappy old Lockhart. It's, yeah. on, the same, it's on the same site, man. So they're playing in crappy old Lockhart, just a different crappy old Lockhart. Um, and then uh, Vancouver uh, had, had previously announced that they were going to be playing in uh, Salt Lake. They, they don't want to share a stadium with uh, Portland or Seattle, which... I think makes a lot of sense for Vancouver. So uh, good on them. So yeah. Do you guys have any, uh, any thoughts on the, uh, these obviously kind of, we all kind of knew it was going to happen. It was just waiting for the actual announcements. Yeah. Uh, you know, the only thing I think that was surprising here was uh, seeing Montreal choose to go so far South as opposed to trying to play in, I don't know right. if Buffalo was available or I, I uh, said, New Jersey, uh, they, that's where they played. They played with at the rebels arena, uh, last year. So, so, you know, I'm going to give you partial points for that answer because Fort Lauderdale is definitely the New Jersey of Florida. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Okay. New, Sounds good. A new reality TV series, Fort Lauderdale shore will be coming up. Shortly. <laughs> I mean, have See, you been to Fort Lauderdale? It's, it's, it's a, <laughs> God All I'm that. saying is I don't want them to run a black light anywhere in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> no, never, never. <laughs> all right. That's uh that's all of our MLS news. MJ, uh, you're very special. Better know a loon. Uh, oh, oh once my. a loon. Uh, so, so give it to us, buddy. Th- this past Saturday, March 6th, celebrates the 25th birthday of a very special loon, Harrison Heath. All right. Harrison Heath, everybody. You dumb asshole. (laughs) Who? David, do you you know where he played the last couple years? Uh, Miami. Yeah. Not for the audio, but another NASL. Yeah, Miami FC. Miami FC. uh, Now playing in the USL championship, I believe. Um, Do you know who the coach is of Miami FC? Currently, fuck no. One Paul Doglish. 
Oh, Kenny. Hey, Kenny's boy. Paul, All right. Paul All right. Kenneth Doglish from the son of a Liverpooler FC player coaching the son of an Everton player. How much weirder and shittier can you get? I mean, how much was how much did Harrison how old is Harrison Heath? He turned 25. Okay. Last Saturday. So he spent he spent the majority of his uh youth in the United States. Yes. He only spent like maybe seven or eight years, maybe ten years in in uh in Liverpool. And not even in Liverpool because uh Adrian Heath wasn't playing uh with Everton at the end of his career, so Dan's probably got the Wikipedia already pulled up, but do you know what what which youth associations he, he played with? I Harrison, so England, I, I do not know and I do not care. What's that? England, he was a canary. He was, I believe, uh, yeah, he was in the youth academy at Norwich. But before that, he was with at the youth academy at, at Houston Dynamo. Okay. Because yeah, I'm guessing Daddy was Austin. Austin yeah, with with an Aust- in Austin, yeah. So that makes sense. So yeah. Uh, and then somehow he gets on the Orlando City U23 team. Don't know how that happened. Nope. Yeah. No one knows. Definitely not nepotism <laughs> at all. So happy birthday once a loon, Harrison Heath. Um, I'll say if Harrison Heath listens to this podcast, uh, I look at you every morning getting a red card because I have a picture of you getting a red card on my nightstand. I, I My alarm goes off. I wake up, turn on my light. There's Harrison Heath getting a red card at the bench at TCF Bank Stadium. And it brings me joy every morning. Like I may have had the shittiest day the day before, right? My kid may have like just shat himself a bunch of times. I may have a hangover. I may, you know, what, whatever migraine, uh, twisted an ankle the night before, whatever. I wake up every morning and I turn over or I, you know, I lay next to my, my gorgeous wife who has already gotten up. So I just, I roll over and then I uh, I see Harrison Heath. Actually, I don't even see Harrison Heath because he is actually blocked by people. I just see a red card being produced for Harrison Heath. And Harrison Heath, I'm just going to say, that gives me so much joy. And if you are ever in Minneapolis uh, or St. Paul ever again, um, let me know because I would love, I would absolutely love for you to autograph that picture. Like, I'm not joking. I would love to get that picture autographed of you getting a red card. So thanks, MJ. I, that actually, when you said Harrison Heath, I was a little bit disappointed. Now I'm much more happy. So thank you. I knew you would have something to share. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's, uh, let's talk Minneapolis City really quick. So the lower league E-Cup is done. Max Stiegworth from Minneapolis City made it to the finals, beating the Fort forward Madison uh, representative in the semifinals. They were playing Metro Louisville in the final. And, um, and sadly, uh, the first leg went 1-7 to Metro Louisville, and the second leg didn't get much better at 1-10. to So Yikes. Uh, Minneapolis City loses in the final. 17-2? Um, 17-2. On aggregate. Yikes. Um, 
But let's not focus on the past. Let's let's focus on Minneapolis City present, the futures, the Minneapolis futures, which is the feeder to Minneapolis City too in the USPL. They are playing right now. And if you don't remember, they had those really cool kits based on the four Minneapolis neighborhoods. And those four teams are playing right now. This is a great opportunity for a lot of soccer players in the Twin Cities that kind of get caught at an age where they don't have an opportunity to play competitive soccer. What do I mean by that? College kids who come home for the summer, kids that are college age that didn't go to college, they went to a two-year school like Anoka Tech or community college, something like that, or kids that have graduated high school and they just don't have an outlet to play for whatever reason. They're not comfortable going to a college in COVID or whatever. They need a place to play. And so, you know, Minneapolis had tryouts, they had looksies, and this is just really cool opportunity that the futures are are playing in kind of a closed intramural league and is a great chance for those guys to play. Now, from Minneapolis City present to Minneapolis City future, but not the Minneapolis City futures future. The NPL, the NPSL North's schedule has been announced. So we know Minneapolis City's schedule. We know what the teams are. We lose uh uh, technical difficulties, FC, sadly. Um, probably the team I like to troll the most on the Twitter is uh, no longer putting a team into, um, that was the Twin Stars, right? Uh, <laughs> right. And I was thinking with the uh, St. Paul, uh, Somos Trapos team out and with no more Twin Stars, all of the local Twin Cities derbies are done. No, 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 no. New club steps in. Joy Athletic from, I forget the full name of their youth academy. It's like Spirit of Joy or something like that. But they've been running a futsal uh, and youth academy for several years. They are putting in a NPSL club. And signed are former Minnesota United player and Minnesota Stars standout Andre Gatsunov. Signed to Joy Athletic is former Minneapolis City player Whitney Brown. Mm. Will his brother Marty Brown be coming with him? Maybe there will be a brother versus brother derby this year. And maybe most impressively, one Eric Lagos, son of Gerard Lagos, son of Buzz Lagos, Gerard being Manny Lagos' brother. Eric Lagos is currently playing at Yale. Yeah. Uh, so they're, te- they're technically in the in St. Louis Park, so it's not really a Minneapolis St. Paul Derby, but close enough. Well, the Twin Stars were playing in what Maple Grove, uh, Brooklyn Center, and that's fine. Hey, listen, like, man, I'm th- just saying there's going to be a local derby. Local we're, derby. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna. I think we need definitely need to do a Dave's and L podcast. Uh, at a, a Minneapolis City match, once we're all like, once all three of us are vaccinated, we're gonna get together at a uh, Minneapolis City match, and we're gonna record a fucking podcast. So um, that'd be fun. Yeah, it was pretty crazy when the schedule came out today to look at it and really think, like, holy shit, like we can go to those games this year. Like, 
people people will be at that. It's pretty exciting. Like it, yeah. it, for some reason, it made it like very real to me that like with a vaccination pace, we can start planning for like going to Minneapolis City games and stuff. Yeah, I'm very yeah. excited. It's very very cool. So if you haven't gotten your Minneapolis City uh, season ticket yet, uh, please do. Uh, they're fantastic. They uh, do a really good job, and we definitely should. Uh, yeah, you'll see you'll see one of the three of us at probably most matches um this year so yeah uh all right cool uh, anything else on minneapolis city mj or are we good well, we got past present future that's it all right um well nothing else happened in world soccer uh over the weekend other than comedy Bowl, uh suspending their march world cup qualifiers basically uh every country in south america is on a red list for every country in europe to travel to and from basically meaning that if you come from that country you have to spend 10 days in quarantine and uh basically uefa said uh uh yeah we're not gonna we don't really want to, our players to travel there so uh Kami Bowl, knowing that some of their better players not all the best players but lots of their good players are uh, on european big european squads um canceled their qualifiers for march they haven't decided when they're gonna make them up but it'll probably be you know they'll figure something out relatively soon so nothing else happened in uh world soccer i mean i don't think any of our teams had a particularly notable weekend uh, i mean only only one of us lost to fulham but yeah no nothing no no one no one lost to fulham who lost to fulham no one lost to fulham uh, all i have to say is both merseyside teams beat lampard's Chelsea, but lose to uh, Tuchel's. I know it's too cold. I know it's too cold. Lose to Tuchel's uh, Chelsea. Um, not cool. I Liverpool hasn't played for like eight weeks, guys. I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, it's it's been weird that they haven't played any soccer matches since they last beat uh, uh, Leipzig in the Champions League uh, round of sixteen. They play again on Wednesday, so maybe they. Maybe they'll play another soccer match again for the first time in like six weeks. But uh, yeah, the Who won the first leg between you and Leipzig, uh, Liverpool, two nothing. Yeah. Actually, as a matter of fact, so, some positivity for yeah. Liverpool. On here's the here's here's the thing: they're gonna lose. They're gonna lose this game three to one. So like this already shitty season is gonna get even worse because like, we knocked out a fucking Champions League, and they're gonna lose three to one, and they're gonna lose the game because technically they're the home team. They're they're playing in the same goddamn place, Puskas. Because they, no one can go to fucking England or Germany, um, and so they're gonna lose this game three to one, and they're gonna lose on away goals. Away, away goals in, in a neutral venue where they both yeah, just yeah. played, fucking what three week four weeks ago. This could be a blessing in disguise though, because you haven't won in Anfield in so long that maybe it's better that you play it with this. That's fair, fair fucking fair point, MJ. <laughs> Dan, fuck you. Fuck you! All right, <laughs> let's let's end the podcast. Well, I'm ending the podcast right there. No, no, no. minute, Dan. You got Burnley this weekend, but but two uh, two weeks ago, something we can all agree on, all agree is good for our club. Leicester City finally lost, and it's thanks to Arsenal. Do you have anything to say about that? Uh, Arsenal is having the most Jekyll and Hyde season I can remember, even by Arsenal standards, which is incredible. When they're on their game, and they were against Leicester, they look unplayable. Like, they look really good. And then you get games against Burnley, and it's like, who who are you, Jamokes? So, 
I think uh, Arsenal season basically boils down to the Europa League at this point, which, I mean, that's fine. You know, it's it's a winnable competition this year. But uh, we play Olympiacos, and they're just bastards. Like, I, don't, I, I know yeah, nothing are. about the club. I know nothing about their current players. But Arsenal plays them all the time. We played them when we were both in the Champions League. We played them in the Europa League. They're just bastards. And I'm not keen on playing them. So, <laughs> Overachieving bastards. Uh, all right. Uh, please rate and review the podcast wherever, uh, wherever you listen to it. Uh, Davesano.com, patreon.com slash Davesano. Uh, check out HopClouds at HopClouds on Twitter for the Citrustown Wanderers jersey crawler deal. Uh, 60 bucks. You're not going to, you're not going to be uh, disappointed with either the crawler of beer or the jersey made by Podium Wear. Podium Wear is, is a really great. Um, really great, like I said, local uh, manufacturer of kits. At TDAKMN on Twitter, I'm at Texas Zeller. Uh, Dan's at U8, MJ's at MJ. So we, we've been the days you know. This is the to try and work it out. Cause we both know we can't do nothing at all. Son. Long as you do yours, land here become feet, con. Yeah, uh, we, we yeah. do our thing, son. Through the act, we attract two, hope to reach one. Uh, we, yeah. we, we do our thing, do it. Do it. We do our thing, son. Some will paint a piece, some will spray with a machine gun. It's mad work to be done. We, we, we do our thing, son.